Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. Good to see you. As we kind of tell the Easter story and participate, hopefully, in the Easter story a little bit together. It's a, obviously a story for, for everyone. It's this massive sort of interruption in the universe of God coming to earth and giving his life uh, for us. Um, and it's about us getting to know him. And when I was a kid, my mom, bless her soul, she, she was raising five boys. So, it, you know, she's, she raised five boys. When we ride the car with her, we live in this small town and uh, kind of one main road. So you kind of see everybody and you see things going back and forth all the time. Little beach town in, in New Jersey. And, uh, you know, police departments there and we see, you know, police cars pretty frequently. Every time we're driving the car with my mom, like in the backseat as little kids, if a police car would go, start going by, she'd go, get down, get down, get down. And we're like, what? And like, but we would do it because you just assume like the police are bad. Get down, get down, you know. And for years and for years, and I'm, I have a younger brother who's I'm about 16 years older than him. And, and he's, uh, he was six years old, I think, at this time. We're driving in a car, my wife and I. He's in the back seat, and, and one of his points, I look at that police car, and how do you see him get down, you know? Like, he's just, get down, get down. And eventually, you know, you come to understand, like, you don't have to be afraid, right? The police are not all out to get you unless you've done something bad. They, maybe you should be afraid, but they're, they're okay. Police are safe. But it was sort of ingrained in us early on, like, get down, get out of the way, right? Of course, I do it to my kids now. I'm like, get down, get down. I'm like, why? But, <laughs> but it sort of is, gets in your psyche a little bit, this sort of, way that you would see the policemen or cop cars. And, but as you get to know them, you get to understand uh, that they're not out to get you, it becomes sort of more, more comfortable, right? You don't have to duck every time a police car drives by. I was having a conversation with a friend uh, a little while back, and he knows I'm a spiritual person, a pastor, and we're talking about prayer and how that works, and, and trying to, he was just kind of trying to understand our tradition that way. And, uh, and I kind of asked him, like, have you ever, have you ever pray, ever talk, try to talk to God or the universe or the divine, however you, however you understand it. And he said, no, I just try not to talk to that guy, and I hope he doesn't notice me. Right? I hope that you know, if, he, if, I, if I just be quiet, he won't see what I'm up to, right? I can kind of just ignore him that way. If I stay distant from God, he won't pick me out in a crowd, and, and, and I'll be fine, right? I'll just ignore the big guy. And I, and I think that kind of captures a little bit of the story of Easter. It's about the breaking down of this distance, it's about the, the removal of fear. Like You do not have to be afraid of this God. He wants to come close. He wants to be with. He wants to have conversation. He's uh, not someone you have to try to hide from. And Jesus is pouring out his life to break down this, this sense of fear. And how many of us, even today, been knowing this story, right? we approach God with a sense of fear, a little bit of guilt, maybe some shame. What's he going to do to me? What if he finds out what I'm really like? Uh, and the Easter story is about breaking down fear. Um, but to give some context to Easter's story, I'm just going to go back a couple days in the narrative. And if you were with us a, a few weeks ago, we looked at the Last Supper and we've looked at Palm Sunday, these events leading up to uh, the cross and, and ultimately the resurrection. But after this Last Supper, it was this really intimate time of Jesus with his disciples. So the whole thing is getting close. We're a few days away from his, his crucifixion. He's at this table with his close friends and they're sharing this really uh, awesome, meaningful meal, and they're, and they're, they're breaking bread together, and they're, and, they're, and they're drinking the wine, and they're talking, and, and Jesus kind of lets out a few times, like, man, this is going to be the last time this is going to happen for me, and this is going to be the last time I'm going to be with you, and you can, just, you can hear a little bit of the, the hardness, of the lament starting to sink in, in in the character of Jesus's life about, wow, this is going to be hard. This is going to, I'm going to miss you guys. What I'm about to go through is going to be difficult, and following that that scene, that, that part of the story when they're at the table, 
says, Jesus goes out into this garden. It's called Gethsemane. I'm just going to read that uh, with us to you today. And uh, you can follow along if you like, if you have Bibles or phones, uh, Matthew 26, uh, or feel free just to listen. It says this, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and, the Zebed- and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch for me. So he's finished this meal, and he, and he goes with some of his close friends, and the weight of the situation of what's going to happen to him just begins to sink in. In the words of Jesus, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. And he goes a little further away from them into this garden. It was a sort of olive grove, these kind of craggy olive trees, and it's night, it's dark. He goes a little further down, and it says in verse 30, he went a little further, and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father... If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So he whispers this very honest prayer. Very honest prayer. Let this cup, a cup is a metaphor in the Old Testament for, for life. So we, you'd have your life is, is your cup and what you'd fill it with. And he says, my life right now, the way it's going to be filled, is there any other way? Is there any other way to do this? I, 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 I'm, I'm grieving and I'm, I'm lamenting about the pain that I'm about to encounter. Is there any other way? But he said, hey, but if, if it's not your will, then I'm, I'm still down with whatever we're going to do. And he returns to the disciples, and he found them asleep, right? So he's kind of out, like, just pouring out his heart to God. He's going through this hard time, comes back. He says in verse 40, hey, Peter, couldn't you watch, keep watching me for even one hour? Keep watching, pray, so you're not given the temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So it's like, guys, like, just cover me for a little bit longer. Stay strong here. As he's out, just having this time with his father. Jesus left him a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And he turned to them again. He found them sleeping because they couldn't keep their eyes open. And so he goes, a, goes away a third time saying the same things again. So you have to imagine Jesus because it, the story actually gets, obviously gets really fun in the resurrection. But think of the humanity of Jesus just days, a day before his, his, his crucifixion. And he's kind of out having this time with his father. He's, he's just whispering these prayers. God, if there's any other way, do you take this, take this cup from me? Can we do this differently? Can we do this differently? One time, it goes out again a second time, a third time. And at least from what we can see here, there's not a lot of dialogue between him and the father. There doesn't seem to be a lot of God talking. It's Jesus making requests and then this, this sort of period of silence. And he goes back again. He goes back again. I wonder how many of us can relate to God in that way. Where you've just come to him, as much as you understand, I'm like, I can't do this. This is too hard. And you get nothing. You just get nothing. And you come back again, God, please, is there any other way? Nothing. Nothing. And this sort of silence of God can be difficult to deal with. I would imagine it was difficult for Jesus. But at the end of it, he said, you know what? I'm still going to trust my life into your hands, and we're going to walk through this. I'm going to walk through this. And I think we, we, you and I have probably been there. Just pouring out to God and nothing. And maybe it's something big or maybe it's something small. Right? I remember praying for all kinds of things as a kid like, God, please let something happen. Let the bus break down so I don't have to go to school today. Like, please let that teacher be out so we don't have to take the test. Or please like, make my zits go away. Like, really like, meaningful things when you're a kid. Right? Those are hard things. But now it's usually around like, you know, relationship or, or getting into school or it's money or job or, 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 or looks or whatever those things are we bring to God. 
And a lot of times we don't get a lot of response. I think if we really lean into our prayers, Jesus was able to do, he's reflecting on, he kind of knew the answer. He knew the answer. And you and I, a lot of times we petition God and we like pour our hearts out. And we kind of lean into ourselves a little bit. Kind of know, yeah, it probably does have to be this way. This is probably how it is going to go. But Jesus is there agonizing. God, help, help. Nothing. So he's arrested, and uh, he ends up in these court systems. In the, in the time, it was the Roman Empire, but there was a, a kind of Jewish sort of nation within the Roman Empire, and, and Jesus is going into these courts. So he's arrested, and he goes to the courts of the, of the, of the Jewish people. They don't, they don't like him, and the Roman people don't like him, but not really sure what to do with him. So six different times, Jesus goes back and forth in these court appearances. And his public opinion had been great a few days earlier, about a week earlier. If you have followed this story, Jesus' triumphal entry. He's coming into Jerusalem. People are throwing cloaks down. They're waving uh, palm branches. Like, they're super excited. Like, this guy's awesome. He's going to, like, free us. He's going to be the king. And then, like, a, like a couple days later, like, we hate this guy. Kill this guy. Right? And so the people are kind of over Jesus. They're, he's not doing what they wanted him to do. They're thinking, you know, just do away with him. That's murder. We don't want this guy. And Pilate, the Roman governor at the time, was saying, well, you know what? I can't really find anything wrong with him. And it's customary during this, this festival time for you guys. I release somebody anyway, so I'm just going to release him. I mean, why, why, would, why would I keep him? And the people are like, no, like, kill him. And like, don't you have Barabbas, that criminal guy? Release him. Release Barabbas. And Barabbas was, the Bible says, a murderer. He was a re- re- rebellion leader, just a bad dude. And he's in prison basically with Jesus. He's sentenced to death too, probably by, cro- by the cross. So we're going to kill Barabbas, execute Barabbas. And the people are like, no, wait, don't kill Jesus. Give us Barabbas. Give us this other guy. And I kind of wonder, Jesus is processing this, thi- this stuff out. He's in the courts and he's just being true to himself. He's on his way. And the pilot's like, set him free. And Jesus is like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm going to get set free now. Maybe there's something else that's going to happen. Maybe this will be another time. And then it's not. It's not. As a kind of hum, human Jesus, the, the Jesus that's suffering through the situation has to kind of endure this. And so the people demand, keep Jesus, give us Barabbas, give us this murderer, give us this criminal, set him free. And they do. They set Barabbas free. He walks. He walks free. And there's no more about Barabbas. It's not like he gets out of this situation where he was sentenced to death. And he's like, oh, cool, I'm free. And then he kind of looks over his shoulder and like, thanks, Jesus. Nothing. He just kind of drifts into the crowd. People are probably patting patting him on the back, like super excited to have him. Like, yeah, now we got Barabbas back. Like, they're all into him now. Nothing. Jesus quietly stands there and goes on his his death sentence. I think it's interesting to think about God so loved Barabbas. God so loved Barabbas. This is like the first person Jesus saved in a way. Barabbas was sentenced to death. Jesus steps in. Now Jesus is going to die. And Barabbas goes free. Man, you and I are Barabbas in that story. And I wonder how many times we kind of walk through that. We're like, my gosh, I'm free. This is amazing. And and we don't turn over to, like, think think about what Jesus went through or thank God for that act. And I think God is okay with that. (laughs) He knows that. Jesus gave his life. like, "Ah, that guy might thank me. He might not, but he's free. I'm I'm still going to die. Bible says he died for us while we get sinners. So it doesn't, it's not based on understanding. Like, well, once they get it, then they'll be fine. Like, guys, free. So Jesus is placed to death, put to death, and he's placed in this tomb. 
And it's kind of the game over moment for the disciples, these guys who are really close to Jesus, his, his friends. And they've kind of lost this, this person, this, this leader, this friend, this um, person of hope and love that they were endeared to, and they lost him. And now their life even was kind of without purpose. Like, wow, we were all with this Jesus story. Like, this is what we were going to do. Now he's gone. What do we do? And they're going through this loss Friday night, Saturday, right? I think we've all, we've all lost something. Have you ever lost something? Something meaningful or maybe, maybe not even that meaningful, but it can sometimes just be irritating. My phone, wedding ring, keys. Maybe it's something of more, more significance, a, a loved one. It hurts to go through loss. It hurts to go through loss. And then the more significant, the longer it can take. We were on a road trip a couple summers ago to Montana, and uh, tons of stuff in the car. You know, we've been on these trips, like stuff's on the roof and in the back, and we're trying to keep order with all the kids and, and all our stuff and fishing poles and everything. And get in the car on the way out and, like, check everything, locked up, got our keys, got my keys, a couple extra sets of keys with us because we just left, everything left the house. Go on this, on this trip, and uh, we're staying at some different places and, and getting ready to come home a couple weeks later. And the house we're leaving, we're packing up all our stuff, and I kind of thought in my mind, like, I wonder if my keys got into this house somewhere. i, I got to make sure they're not here. We don't want to leave my keys in this house in Montana, my, my personal set of keys, my car keys. And I'm looking all through the house, checking through the house, like, I don't see them. They must be in the car. Like, I don't see them in the car. It's kind of like when those things are starting to nag. Like, I, don't, I haven't seen those things around for a while. I'm sure they're there, but I haven't seen them. And I'm kind of looking, like, all right, they're not there, they're not there. And so for the rest of, like, the few days, like, we're heading home, like, where are those keys at? You know, when you lose something like that, you check the same places over and over again. Like, I kept checking the glove box under the seat. Like, uh, you know, maybe I missed them the last 10, 100, you know, thousand times. Like, where are those keys? No keys, no keys, no keys. And we get home, and I'm like, all right, the keys haven't shown up yet, but let's unpack it. I'm sure they'll show up. They don't show up. My keys, like, my work keys, my, my house keys, my car keys, at the time, they were my only truck keys. Like, where are the keys? They'll turn up, they'll turn up, they'll, they'll turn up. You're kind of going through this sort of loss. Where, where did I lose them? What went wrong? And we unpack, and the day goes on, and they don't show up. I'm like, gosh, they're gone. My keys are gone. And so the next day, I have to call AAA up, and they have to come to the house, and they have to, you know, my truck, and they have to key the new thing again. It costs me all kinds of money. It's like 150 bucks plus like 49.95 for each additional key. And like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this, this stinks. This is costing me time and money now. And weeks and weeks go by, and I kept thinking, they're never going to show up, and they don't show up. So one day, somehow, my son's crawling through our car, and as if they were just laying there the whole time, saying, oh, are these dad's keys? And you're like, what? What the? Where were those keys, you know? And I was happy to have the keys back, but it didn't negate the sort of the cost of that loss. You still had to deal with losing them for a while. It caused financially, it caused time, it caused mental anxiety and just driving people around me crazy going through my car looking for keys. And this lost period that the, the this is, disciples are in right now, they're kind of like, well, this is crazy. What happened? What hap- where is this guy? He's, he's really gone now? He's really dead? Like that just happened? I thought this was going to be different. I thought things were going to go differently. Right? I thought they were going to turn up and then they didn't. I thought Jesus was going to come and lead us and he's not. And we can relate to that because we've been there, I'm sure, in your life journey. Like, I just thought it was going to be different. I thought it was going to be better. And, and then nothing. Like, maybe tomorrow. I'm like, nope, not t- still not tomorrow. Still not tomorrow. We can get caught in these little moments of despair. And I'm sure the Saturday time for the disciples are just spinning like, what in the world? 
But we have to go through that loss, right? We have to sometimes lose something to find it. There's no finding without losing. There's no recovery without being lost. We have to go through those, those places mentally, physically sometimes, relationally. Like, man, I'm, I'm feeling lost, but something can be found. And then the story gets really fun. Twist, right? The disciples, his followers, people like beginning, middle, and the end. Bummer. Beginning, middle, and twist. He's not dead. Luke 24, and we read this, make a couple comments, and we'll finish up in a few minutes. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, they're going to the tomb with spices because they're going to, to care for the body. They're not thinking like, hey, Jesus is probably up and hungry. Let's go make him breakfast. Like, they're going to go embalm the body. They're going to go care for the body. The day before was Sabbath. Nobody did anything. No one was walking or going to the tomb. So this was the first day they can even check out the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Like, oh, yeah, he did say something about that. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 uh, others, the other Jesus' crew, his friends, his disciples. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the, mother, and Mary, the mother, Mary, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them. They told this to the apostles. They're like sharing this news. Like, he, he's not there. Something's happening. But they didn't believe the women uh, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. It's just sort of this idle tale, this story in the Greek. It sort of talks about this sort of making something up to make you feel better about yourself or the situation. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. I love Peter just getting up and going to see it for himself. I believe Peter was a person of great hope. Like that white guy would get up and run. I, I think he was just waiting for something like this, like this is it. I don't think he fully understood it, but I think he was excited. Uh, John's account goes like this. Early the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Uh, so this is John's gospel, the, the apostle, the disciple John. He kind of always, he tends to refer to himself as the other disciple or the disciple Jesus loves. It's his book, so he can write it like that. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Like, how is that relevant? <laughs> the other disciple was faster than Peter. Like, it's the gospel story. Like, Jesus has risen, and he kind of has to include, well, they both ran, but I was faster. Like, Right? It's so good, it's just, but it's, so, it's just humanity, it's, it's people. Like, and John's writing, it's kind of funny for John, and this is sort of a little bit of a tangent, but his, his writings are probably quite a bit later than the other disciples' writings. And it's possible Peter never actually got to see John's gospel. He, he maybe have been uh, martyred before John's stuff got in circulation. So John's kind of like, no one's going to know now. Peter's dead. I was faster. Like, you know, like What? But the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the, in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. So he's like, oh, you beat me here, but I'm beating you inside. And so Peter darts inside. He goes into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' face, Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And he says this. 
he saw <coughs> and believed. And they, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were standing at. And I love this moment of, of, of they saw and believed. Now, these are ones that only two at this point, they, they believed the story at least a little bit first to get there. There was some act of like, ah, I think there's something to this. And they run. They get up with hope. Hope is rising. They're just like, we're going. We're going there. They saw and believed, but they still didn't understand really what was happening. They saw and believed, but didn't understand. And sometimes we link full understanding with belief, and I don't think it has to be that way. There was a belief, there was something welling up inside of them, even though they didn't understand the whole picture. They were buying into something they, they, they knew was real. They knew was real. They saw and believed, they did not understand. And hope kind of gets us to those places. Because we don't have to understand everything about our life or God. But hope gets us up in the morning. Like, I, I, I believe there's something today. I believe there's something today. And hope is a state of mind. It's, it's decision. It's action. It's, it's hope is, is, is getting up. Hope is rising. Hope is running. Last person we'll look at is real quick. John. Jesus reveals himself to Mary. He says this. Mary stood outside facing the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stopped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, one at the head, one at the feet where Jesus' body had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Uh, because they've taken away my Lord, she told them. I don't know where they've put him. So she's really agonizing over this missing person, not in the sense of like, I, I want to find him because I know he's up, but like somebody stole him, something happened to the body. And having said this, she turned around and, and saw Jesus staring there, standing there, though she didn't know it was Jesus. woman, Jesus said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've removed him, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. Kind of a real emotional exchange here. You picture this woman who loved Jesus and is shocked and sad and crying that the body's not there. Maybe she wanted to say one, one final goodbye and he's missing. She turns around and these guys are like, he thinks it's the gardener. Like, where, where is he? Could you tell me? And, and Jesus just says this, Mary. She just says, he just says, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi or teacher, Jesus. And she recognized him. And there's something very powerful and revealing, and there's this great revelation for us if we can understand that God knows our name. God knows our name. She didn't re recognize Jesus until he said, Mary. And she's like, oh my gosh, that's him. That's the guy. And there's a great message of hope in that Jesus knows your name. God knows your name. God knows your name. And as we understand that, revelation with, comes, comes, comes to us in knowing him. He knows your name. And we don't have to hide. We don't have to get down in the back seat. We don't have to run for cover when, he, when Jesus is coming into the room. He knows your name, and he's kind and compassionate, and he's good. As you, as you get to know him through, through story, through people, through, through his spirit, you begin to understand that. We're going to close with a song, and I want to pray for you guys. This is kind of wherever you're at. I think we all need hope in our lives, no matter what that is. Sometimes hope takes a little effort from us. Sometimes the hope's like, man, I gotta get up and get over there. I'm gonna run to the tomb even though I don't know what's happening. And I hope that when you get to those places, 
when you start to draw close to Jesus, that you may hear him whisper your name. And I hope you would find there's nothing so lost that God cannot find it. There's nothing so broken that God cannot fix it. And there's nothing so dead that God can't bring it back to life. God, thanks for this morning, just for time hanging out with one another, uh, with your presence, with kids and coffee and, and donuts in this awesome place, God. Lord, I pray for those in this room right now. Oh, man, they're just wrestling with some despair, uh, fear, misunderstanding of you, God. I pray your peace would be upon them, that you know their name. Lord, and you're not someone that we have to run from, someone we should be running to. So God, may your presence be felt as you sing this last song. Thank you for the story.